You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 45, and I'm Brandon. And I'm Allison. You are. I am. It sounded for like some you questioned reason, that. I, I paused for a second and questioned my own name. But I am Allison, and I'm here to talk to everyone, including you, Brandon, about ginger beer plant. Yeah, because we'd seen that and spoke about it in, I think, two episodes ago, or, or one episode ago, where we... We're looking at the ginger beer plant, the organism, and composing it. It's an article from 1892, and it's this guy that, well, the scientist that studied the ginger beer plant. Yeah, that's right. And this kind of came out of you asking me about the microorganisms in this and how it compares to water kefir, which are going to be very similar grains. They are supposedly different, but this article doesn't solve or answer those questions, but it does dive way deeper into any than anything else I've ever seen on ginger beer plant. Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, just reading the introduction, I believe that is a few pages long and it, it's, it reads more like a story than a science paper, which, um, has been a little entertaining for, at least for me to read. It makes it a little easier to sometimes science papers are written in a very dry form, but on it again, like this just reads more like a story. Which was actually kind of surprising to me because it almost seems to have two things not going for it in, in, in my experience of it's it's written a long time ago and it's science related. So it's like just meant to be dry. So it could just be this author or maybe the way that science articles were written are more story like back in the day. Yeah, that's true. It it could be a variety or both of those. Um, but I had a lot of fun reading. I didn't I will admit that I didn't get to read the whole article because it is pretty lengthy. But, you know, when I think I got all the way up to the methods reading it word for word, which is on page 130 is when he starts talking about the methods. I re- I read a little bit of that, too, just as a scientist, because I wanted to know what kind of methods he was using compared to trad- methods that um, microbiologists use today. And he was pretty advanced in his time. I mean, I'm very impressed. Now, do you you say advanced in his time? Is that just, do you think that any of that is just not having realized how far or how advanced things were in 1892 or that he was at the top of his league back in that time period? I'm thinking maybe he was on top of his game when he was, when he did this research because it's very well done. Um, I mean, I haven't compared his work to other people's works from the 1800s. So I'm going to assume that he's, you know, doing a very well job and thorough investigation. But when I'm talking about the methods too, he was using sterile technique, which I know that Louis Pasteur didn't even recognize or acknowledge that there was something um, inside fermentation. They thought it was just a spontaneous thing until he discovered it in, I think it was 1857. And if this paper was written um, by, what is his name, H.R. Howard? I'm sorry, H.M. Howard um, in 1892. That's only a difference of 35 years. But he's using sterile technique and he's isolating microbes and actually identifying them with like a genus species or mostly at least a genus, which I thought was really interesting. Now, I'm assuming that at this point with how species and genus shift and change that he might be referring did was he referring to things that were all that that you were familiar with or had some of them been updated in in name and else, elsewhere um he specifically names saccharomyces which i thought was pretty 
amazing for, again, for it being written in 1892. But um, I think that there are some species that have probably changed names since then. Um, I wouldn't know what names they are currently. But I mean, he, he, he calls yeast A, Saccharomyces pyriformis, which I don't know um, the species of the pyriformis, but it could be just an earlier version or what they called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. I'm not quite sure. I didn't really get into the research that far. But he also um, points out, um, I think he calls bacillus microbes um, and bacteria and even names them as bacteria. Which again is something that wasn't, that that was still relatively new. So are you saying that yeast were understood before bacteria were? Um, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I would think that yeast are a lot larger than bacteria. So I'm thinking that the yeast was discovered or acknowledged before bacteria. But the fact that they can even differentiate the two and call the Saccharomyces a yeast and then the Bacillus A bacteria and even get as far as that, that's pretty amazing for only having 35 years of, you know, after this dis- this huge discovery in a whole new world. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating and and looking like you're talking about with these methods how would you would you say that it was pretty accurate or or that it was actually sanitary i mean using a hot air chamber to at least 140 degrees c for two hours does that cover it does that sterilize it i'm I'm sure that it sterilizes enough i know that in modern microbiology now there's a, a piece of equipment called an autoclave that um do, not only does it increase the temperature but it increases it increases the temperature by using pressure. So it even kills spores and certain types of mold spores. So, um, but you, you can still have a pretty sterile environment for, you know, boiling something for two hours. So I'm sure, I'm sure at the time he was using the best techniques that he had available. Well, and I wonder now, because like you're talking about an autoclave, very similar in a lot of ways to like, say a pressure cooker, Mm-hmm. Do you know time period? I don't know off the top of my head. When was the pressure cooker invented? And in- hmm. well, I know that um, food, canned food was invented by some. This sounds terrible. By some French guy. I don't remember his name. Sure. Um, <laughs> we'll just call him that French guy. Um, but I think it was also because Napoleon was. It was a result of Napoleon trying to conquer other areas of or different regions of the world where in the winter. And so he needed something to preserve his food. So I'm, you know, whenever Napoleon um, was around, that was in the 1800s, right? Good question. Now we're, <laughs> now maybe we're we should have done a little bit more history <laughs> research before we started talking about this, but I, I believe he was um, around in the 1800s. Um, I would say even maybe the early 1800s. And um, it, I know that he had some sort, it was like a prize or a contest that he gave all of the countrymen in France. And if you can figure out some way to preserve food, then you, I don't know, it's probably like win $100 or get a free t-shirt or just world recognition of it. And I know that that is when the, the process of canning food happened. And so by doing that, I'm sure the pressure cooker was invented at the same time as a result of canning food. So I feel like a lot of this stuff kind of all happened at once. Now, 1892 is a little later than probably the pressure cooker or even like past year discovered um, microorganisms. So going back to the original question of the 
how authentic is it to sterilize something at 140 for two hours? I'd say it's pretty close and it's probably the best he could do at the time. Well, hey, that's good. And, and even if there were pressure cookers that could have done something similar to the modern day autoclave, my assumption is that even if there was technology that maybe they hadn't crossed paths yet, that that the laboratory wasn't the same place as the, the kitchen preparation. And even if there was technology in one area, it hadn't necessarily crossed over because again, things didn't transfer at the speed of the internet as they do now, where we can share all kinds of information and get all kinds of knowledge passed around so quickly. Yeah. I But again, it does seem like they were passing things around quick enough because like you're talking about, pretty legit doing his thing and, and getting, getting good results. I mean, it, the diagrams in this are just fun to look at in general, even if I don't know what all of them are doing. Yeah. I looked at some of them and he even explains them in detail, um, extreme detail of what they do and exactly how they work. And I still was a little confused on how, I mean, there's one that he's talking about an airdrop, um, holding mechanism for, for bacteria and yeast. And that was way over my head. Um, I don't even know if that even exists anymore, but just the detail that was involved in drawing this. I mean, he even, draws like the wood grains for if something was sitting on wood, the grain that was, I mean, just the detail itself is amazing. Yeah. That old school style of, I forget what that kind of etching stuff is called, but it's, it, it, that alone makes it worth reading. And then plus you have the story side to it and then getting to learn about, I mean, because he did a lot of, I think it was over 2000 separate cultures that he was working with over the period of a few weeks to a few months to a few years or a couple of years for some of them. I wonder if this was probably the largest research done on the ginger beer plant ever. Yeah. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised of it. I haven't heard of any other research. In fact, I didn't even really know what ginger beer plant was until you were talking about it. Um, but it sounds very similar to kefir. And um, he also talks about how it's given a, a little bit of the traditional aspect of it that it's handed down from family to family or given to people as um, not necessarily gifts, but like, you know, you would share a loaf of bread, you would share your ginger beer plant with people. And that's kind of where it disappeared at one point and really wasn't, there are still people that are brewing it, I'm sure that was passed down from family, but it it took people finding old samples of it in, in, banks to be able to repropagate this and make it popular again. And it's only a very recent thing. And that's just, that's where I go back to the whole concept of these, these cultures that are passed down like this are important to, to keep, keep alive and keep people that are fascinated about them because it's like, this was something that was so well known and so common. And then it just, and, and it, even in the United States, I guess, to a certain extent it, it was because some of his cultures came from the United States. And so there's, it was very prevalent and then just disappeared kind of probably around the time of other kinds of soda beverages and different things like that, that didn't require the added work. But it's, but it's, it's interesting to look at the actual process is very similar to how I make my ginger beer plant. And so it makes me wonder if this was part of the motivation for anyone searching for the ginger beer plant if they were looking at articles like this, or if it was just so common to do it this way that this was the way it was done with just, just adding uh, sugar to water. And then they were even doing the cream of tartar back then. And I wonder what made them decide that that was a, a good idea to to change the, what is, uh, now I'm 
drawing a blank. What's the cream of tartar doing in the water? Do you know? Um, I'm not quite sure. I would think that it was it's probably giving some sort of nutrients to the yeast or even maybe breaking down some of that ginger the ginger in the ginger beer or in the ginger just breaking down um parts of the ginger. I'm not quite sure. Because I I have known in the past and I don't remember exactly what it does, but it is interesting that it was there then. And I mean, and the thing that I do differently with mine is I don't just add a, a piece of, of ginger. I'll actually blend it up in a blender and then strain out the the solids and just put that in there with it. But, and I don't think I've ever tried just pieces of ginger. I've tried like diced up, but not just chunks. So maybe I'll try the chunks and maybe experience something a little different. He did the way he was talking about the cultures, how bubbly they get and how strong they get. And he was talking about how they get thicker and uh, they become more viscous. And that's the only thing I don't see quite to the same extent in, in my culture. And I just wonder if that, that slimy aspect is just something that certain cultures had or if I'm not preparing it the same way that they were back then. I don't know. It could be just an evolutionary change too. I mean, your ginger beer is probably – ginger beer plant is a product of some other person's and, you know, just genetically it changes. So it just could – be a difference of that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, you know, over time, go through the rest of this this article um, or this paper. And uh, what did you, with the with the other parts that you were able to get out, did you have any other key things that were of interest to you? I'm just still fascinated with the detail that went into just the writing aspect of it. I mean, and how easy it is to read. That's the other thing, not to get too sciencey in it, but it's anyone can just pick this up and read it. And it's I mean, as enjoyable as reading something else, it's not, you know, like a fantasy novel or anything like that, but it is easy to read. And I do like that. That makes it really fun for at least me to read as well. But I still love the hand-drawn pictures. That's probably my favorite part about his entire article is that he took such time to actually do really great research um, and to specify all of the microorganisms and identify them towards the end of the paper. Um, he goes through, he had actually made auger plates and, um, spread the bacteria or the yeast on the auger plates. And that's what he drew and looked under a microscope, but he goes into detail about each single plate and then each little colony that was on there and what they looked like on top of the plate, but also what they looked like under the microscope. Just as a scientist, I really appreciate that. I think that that's a lot of hard work. Um, and to do it in such a great detailed way is really amazing they are just fun to look at because they definitely have that aesthetic of a of a of a different time and if anyone does look in the show notes at these definitely scroll to the bottom and and see all these the even the few of the the color photos if a person hasn't had ginger beer before it is going to be different than what this is studying is the the clumpy mass that forms those gelatinous structures as opposed to ginger beer that's commonly made with ginger bug so it's going to be uh, the ginger bug is is sugar and and ginger that are, water that are left to capture wild yeast and then that starts to bubble and then that can be used to inoculate fresh batches of sugar ginger water. Um, I can't really think of anything else that I wanted to. We were going to make this one a shorter episode this week and I think we've we've kind of accomplished that and you know I think that the, this is an article that's that's worth looking into and I don't know if we did it justice in making it sound super exciting. Um, I'm a little under the, or a lot under the weather today, so I uh, didn't get as much time to put f into this episode as would have liked, but uh, 
you know, we're, we, we've got an, an awesome episode uh, coming up. The next episode is going to be right before the new year, and it's perfect time for thinking about resolutions. And if you want to think resolutions, think about eating fermented foods for an entire year and nothing but fermented foods. Yeah, we have a really great episode airing next week. And if you do want to find the show notes, which you do, especially for this episode, because you want to get to this article, you will find them at firmup.com slash podcast slash 45. And you can find us on Facebook at FirmUp, on Twitter at FirmUp, or anywhere else at FirmUp. And until next time, FirmUp! <laughs>